So this morning, we are going to be wrapping up our Summer in the Psalms study. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, we've gone 13 weeks so far. This is number 14 as we get into it. And with 150 chapters in the book of Psalms, we can't get through all 150 chapters. So we've taken uh, just a few of the, the chapters out of the book of Psalms, and we have themed them and giving them kind of one word. And I, I don't know about you guys, I hope that you have enjoyed this time in the book of Psalms, and it's been encouraging, it's been challenging, it's been edifying to you, and it's maybe even in parts uh, been convicting uh, to, to your heart. Uh, this may be something that we, you know, kind of go back to each summer. I don't know. I've really enjoyed this time together in the Psalms, and it may be something that we look at doing uh, on a regular basis. But this morning, we are going to kind of be doing a little bit of an overview of what we've learned through the book of Psalms, the chapters that we've looked at. And then we're also going to be taking a look into the New Testament, into the book of Colossians, and kind of seeing how the two bridge uh, each other. Because the book of Psalms has all, all been, it's all about Jesus. It's all about pointing to a Savior. It's talking about how big God is, how big Christ is, how big of a need that we have for him, and really kind of how small we are and how dependent that we actually uh, need to be on him. And we see Jesus in a couple different ways, all the way pointed through that we've looked at. We, he, it's talked about in the Psalms that he's the Son of God. It's talked about that he's the Lord seated at God's right hand. He's talked about as being the ones that, that was hated and despised for no reason. It talks about him being our sacrifice, our atonement, the one who is our redeemer. And what we've done is in these weeks, we've looked at, like I said, the one word themes. And kind of to review that a little bit, we're going to go back and, and I'm going to see if I can do this from memory. So here we go. This is, this is a good chance to see if I've had enough coffee or not yet this morning. But we, we looked at Psalm chapter 1, uh, and we looked at the word rooted or planted. And we talked about blessed is the person who delights in God's law, in his word. We looked at Psalm chapter 2 and we looked at the word reign, R-E-I-G-N, the reign of Christ, his authority, and how blessed are those who put themselves under his authority and under his reign. We then went to Psalm chapter 8 and we looked at the word above, that Jesus is the name above all names, above anything here on earth, anything below the earth, and anything beyond the earth, Jesus is the name above all names. We then went to Psalm 16 and we looked at the word preserve about how God is the one who preserves us. He's the one who sustains us, that provides for us. And we, we, that's where we really got into the difference with the word Lord in the Old Testament in particular because we looked at that, the capitalized L, capitalized O-R-D, that when you see that, that meant Yahweh. And that's the one that, that David was talking about in that particular psalm. Then we went to Psalm 23, probably the most recognizable psalm in Scripture, and we talked about leads, about how he leads us beside still waters. He leads us into green pastures, but then he's still leading us through the valley of the shadow of death, and he's still the one that's with us in this moment. Then we look at Psalm chapter 24. We looked at the word glory and how God is the only one who is to be glorified. He's the only one that's worthy of glory. We went ahead and skipped to Psalm 34, and we looked at the word redeem. And we took a look at how the people who call themselves redeemed, if we are believers and we embrace being redeemed, that chapter gave us kind of an outline, a map of how we should conduct ourselves. 
Then we went to Psalm 67 and talked about overflow and how his life, his love, everything about him should be overflowing in our lives. Then we went to Psalm chapter 90 and we talked about the word brief or uh, brevity and how just how brief this life really is in comparison to eternity and how we need to live in a mindset and in a light of eternity, not living for our time here. Then we went to Psalm 103. We talked about bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. In chapter 110, we talked about hope, that our hope isn't in a political ruler. Our hope is not in a religious system, but that our hope is in Jesus Christ. And then we finished last week with Psalm 150, and that one word was worship. When we looked at praise the Lord, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. So this morning as we wrap this up, like I said, we're going to head to the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, what I'm going to equate it to be Jesus plus nothing. Because if the Psalms did anything for us, it pointed us directly at our dependency on Jesus Christ. And then Colossians comes back and it, the, the whole book of Colossians is themed about this supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to be reading out of Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to start with verse 11. It says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has, made, uh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject, subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrine of men." These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray together this morning. God, as we come to this time in your word, I ask that, um, that you would do a couple things for us. For those who are hearing, God, I ask that you would open ears, open hearts, open minds, allow your word to comfort us, allow your word to convict us, allow it to challenge us. Uh, God, just do your work in our hearts that you want to do. 
Father, I pray as I minister your words, I pray that I would be simple, I would be concise, that I would speak the words that you would have me speak, and that I would not speak anything that you do not want me to speak. So Holy Spirit, I ask you uh, now publicly that you would inspire me to speak the word rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look in this passage of Colossians, it begins by talking about the work that Jesus Christ has done. The finished work of his death, burial, and resurrection, him being seated at the right hand of the Father, this gives us a glimpse of what he's done for us when he talks about that in him that we are raised. In him he has made us alive together. That he has taken our sins and our our self-righteousness and the unrighteousness of our flesh, that he's taking it out of the way by having it nailed to the cross and having disarmed principalities and powers. Jesus is talking about here, what Paul is writing to the church in Colossae is he is telling them that you are in a fight. And it still applies to us today. Church, we are in a daily fight. And it's not a physical fight. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers and principalities and the forces of darkness and evil in the air. We are fighting a spiritual battle every day that we are alive and every day that we live for Jesus Christ. And the battle that's the most critical for us and the one that's usually the most challenging for us is the one that we fight within ourselves within our flesh, within that part of our man and our being that wants to continually pull us back into sin. You see, I believe, we talked about worship last week, and I think that there is no greater moment of being self-aware than when we are truly worshiping God. Because when we're truly worshiping God, we're not only seeing Him for who He is, but we're also getting a glimpse of who we really are apart from Him. And apart from Him, we are wicked. We're, we're, we're vile. We have this lean towards sin and this lean towards wickedness, this unrighteousness, this, this just ugliness that's in us is a result of sin in our lives. And Paul is telling the, the, the church at Colossae here, he's telling them that, listen, you're fighting this battle. And a key victory element in this battle is to always remember what Christ has done for you. It's not about what you're doing, what you can do better. And he, he's going to address that here in a minute. But he is so zoned in in this letter that it is Jesus Christ plus nothing in our lives. It's what it should be. It's not Jesus Christ plus works equals righteousness. It's not Jesus Christ plus good deeds that equals righteousness. It's not Jesus Christ plus coming to church every Sunday. It's not Jesus Christ plus having a good moral code. It's not Jesus Christ plus being a decent human being. It's not Jesus plus doing good things. It is Jesus plus nothing. Amen? Jesus plus nothing. And then he begins to, Paul begins to articulate and kind of correct and encourage the believers about some of the things that are coming against them that's pulling them away and maybe discouraging them. And let's see as we look at these if maybe these aren't a few of the things that you and I 
face as well. Let's, let's look at verses 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is Christ. This is Jesus plus religion mentality. That you have to keep the, and that's the pressure that they were facing. You have to keep the right traditions. You have to keep the law of Moses. You have to keep the right, doing the right things. You, it's that James concept, the New Testament author of James talking about trying to work our way into this thing, you know, about doing the right religious thing. And Paul corrects him right here in verse 17. And I love this where he says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. You see, he's talking about the law, the Mosaic law, and then all of the laws that were added by the religious leaders throughout the history of the Jewish nation, of the Hebrew nation. He said, these are a shadow of Christ. And the reason that they're a shadow is because they're the evidence that we can't do this on our own. They're the evidence that there's no law that's on the books, whether it be written by man or written by God, that's actually going to be enough for us to be righteous in his sight. He said, this is the shadow of Christ. How many of you in this room or online have ever been able to perfectly keep every law or even the majority of laws in the Old Testament? None of us. Because we all fall short. As a matter of fact, you know, we, we love this concept of just give me the rules. Okay? Just tell me the rules and I will follow them. Let me know where the ground rules, you know, just let me know where this, this, the, the guardrails are on the road and I'll make sure I'll stay in it. And none of us can do that. And we have proof of that. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Go back to the beginning of the book of Genesis. What does that show us? Adam and Eve lived in perfection. They lived in this perfect place, this great atmosphere, this perfect environment, and they had one rule, right? One rule, just don't eat of that tree. Everything else is perfect. They got to walk with God in the cool of the day. They got to hang out. They didn't have to work. They didn't deal with co-workers. I mean, this was paradise. And they had one thing. <laughs> you had one job. And they couldn't do it. So it's not about us and following religious rules. In Matthew chapter 5, I believe it's verse 17, Jesus is talking about uh, the, you know, he's in the Sermon on the Mount. He's just come out of the Beatitudes. He's just talked about being salt and light. And then he goes on to say that I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it, which means that we have an opportunity to rest in Jesus Christ, to rest in the finished work of his cross, of his burial, of his resurrection. Now that doesn't mean that we don't do good things because we know that we were created to do good works for God, but it's not something that we have to achieve a standard, that we have to achieve this level of piety, this level of righteousness, this level of holiness, because we could never do that. It's not within us to be able to reach the level or the standard 
that needs to be. Another teaching of Jesus is when he's talking, he says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, unless your righteousness surpasses that, then you'll never enter into the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is saying, that you can keep the rules as well as anybody. You can do everything within the law and still fall woefully short in your righteousness. Because there's nothing in your righteousness that's going to qualify you. It's only in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All that the law did and all that it does is point us to the fact of we still need a Savior. We still need Jesus. So Jesus plus religion doesn't get it. So let's look at the next section. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, introducing into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase of that is from God. I want to talk to you about Jesus plus an experience. Because this is what Paul's writing about here. About those people who believe that it is Jesus plus our experiences that qualify us to be righteous and to meet that standard. You know, there are some people and I know it's no one in here, so I'm really glad. I'm really glad. But there are some people who believe that if you don't have the exact same experience with Jesus as what they've had, that you've not really met Jesus. There are some people who base their level of righteousness, their level of relationship with God, their level of intimacy with Christ, they base it on a manifested experience, something tangible. And they think that if no one else is having these types of experiences, then, oh, I must be the holy one and they need to repent because, oh, woeful, wicked people are they because they're not experiencing the same thing that I'm experiencing. And we see this divide in the capital C church across the world that, hey, if you don't experience Jesus the same way that I experience Jesus, then you can't be of him. Because only we have it figured out because this is what's happening with us. And this, this details the danger in that thinking when it talks about uh, you know, the false humility of worshiping angels, the things that they have seen, the, the vanity that's, that's puffing up their fleshly mind and their ego. And Paul very quickly in the next verse talks about they are not holding fast to the head. You see, Jesus addresses this type of mentality in both Matthew chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 16, where he basically curses a group of people for seeking a sign. You all remember that? They were, he, they were wanting him to give them a sign. He was wanting, they were wanting him to give him evidence. They wanted a manifested physical representation that you are who you say you are. Give us a sign so that we can believe. Now listen, I'm not saying, I'm not preaching against signs, wonders, I'm not preaching against miracles, I'm not preaching against the supernatural. I'm saying that if you base your relationship with Jesus Christ on those things, then you have added something to Jesus. And when you add something to Jesus, you take away from him. 
because he is all sufficient. Amen? All right, good, good. There's a few people that agree with me anyhow. So it's not Jesus plus experience. Now let's look at the next section. Verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to the regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrine of men? These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and they neglect of the body but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. You know, I think that, uh, that one of the things that we struggle with so much is control. Anybody? Anybody? Kind of like we, we get this control thing. And for any of you Lord of the Rings fans out there, it turns Smeagol into Gollum. You know, kind of gets a hold of him. It's like, my precious. You know, we get a hold of it, and it becomes ours. It becomes something we can do. And we like to be in control. Now, very rarely will we give voice to that. Will we actually say, I have to be in control. I need to be in control. No, we're, we're more humble than that. I mean, we're not going to come right out and say that, but the way that we live tells us that. And guys, I've said kind of from day one, in, in the beginning of March, whenever we started really feeling the effects of this pandemic of COVID-19, the coronavirus, that if it was doing nothing else, it was showing us, it was revealing to us how little control that we actually have over our lives. Am I right? You see, what this section is talking about is people who try to add works to Jesus Christ. And again, just like Jesus plus religion and Jesus plus experience, anything that you try to add to Jesus actually takes away. I, I, I may be so bold as to say that when you try to add something to Jesus Christ, it actually cheapens what he did on the cross of Calvary for you. Because in effect, you're saying that, yes, you did that, but there has to be more to get me to where I need to be. And see, and we just, we don't rest well. You know, I talked about just a few moments ago, us, need, you know, we just need to rest in Christ. Again, that doesn't mean that we don't do anything. We, we go. We do. And I love, um, I love the example of the disciples whenever Jesus ascended into heaven because, you know, he said, wait, and I'm going to send my comforter. You know, he, he said, listen, I'm going to be coming back. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. Does anybody know what the disciples did at that moment? They were standing there, right? <laughs> said the disciples, they watched him go up and they were like, What now? I don't know. He said to wait. Let's just wait. So that's what they did. And it took an angelic visitation. An angel shows up and goes, Hey, what are you doing? We're waiting. Jesus said to wait. I shall not be. I shall not be moved. Right here. I'm waiting on Jesus. 
And the angel goes, no, that's not what, that doesn't, that's not what wait means. Go do something. Go pray. Go do something. Please be productive. You see, waiting and resting in the kingdom of God means different things than what we mean, than what we think it means. It's this rest in Jesus Christ that I don't have to do anything other than look upon Him, other than depend on Him, live for Him. Just He is my everything. That's what I have to do. I don't have to worry about trying to qualify myself because I'll never do it. I don't have to worry about being good enough because I, in and of myself, you, in and of yourself, will never be good enough. We can rest in knowing that redemption, salvation, the rescue of our souls has been completed when Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus paid that price, and we don't need to add anything to it. Psalms, this book of Psalms has pointed us all summer at this Savior, at this one who is coming, this Messiah, the one who is going to come to redeem us, to forgive us, to offer us salvation, to rescue us. And then we see Colossians going, He is enough. Jesus Christ is enough. Maybe, maybe someone in here this morning, maybe someone who's watching this or hearing this online, maybe you need to hear that in your mind. Jesus is enough in your life. Take a break from striving to, to try to qualify yourself. Take a break from trying to be good enough and just lean on Jesus. Trust in Jesus and give yourself over to Him. And here's one of the things I want to challenge you with this morning. And this, this thought kind of hit me as I was driving in this morning. Um, and it was Facebook-worthy, so I posted it. You know, not, not every thought that you have is Facebook-worthy, but sometimes. Sometimes you have one, right? But I said that I think that we're all guilty of just glancing at Jesus and gazing at other things. We want to glance at Jesus, but He doesn't always catch our gaze. And that's what we need to flip. That is what we need to change this morning, is that our gaze needs to rest on Jesus and Jesus plus nothing.